I love the fact that we live right by the Ohio River, and I get to see even Eden Park and Mirror Lake. I like to go run or walk by the fountain. It just brings me peace somehow. So, of course, I really like today's story that we're going to talk about. Because it was an encounter Jesus had with a person, and it happened by water. There was a conversation about water. And in typical Jesus fashion, it went counter to the culture, and there was more than meets the eye. So let's turn to John 4 today on your phones, um, in the Pew Bible. What page would that be? Is it 252? 752, if you're grabbing the Bible pew there. John chapter 4, and Burke's going to read for us today. And we're going to just dig into this story a little bit. Maybe it's one you've heard before, maybe not. Hopefully we'll look at some different things today. Let's start with verses 3 through 9 of John 4. When the Lord learned of this... He left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was near there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had been gone, had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Okay, so, in honor of Steve, I have a map. If you're going to go to Samaria, or if you're going to go to from Galilee to Jerusalem. So Galilee is up at the top, Jerusalem's at the bottom in the box, and Samaria is in between. So a lot of devout Jews, they would go worship in Jerusalem. Jesus was going to go the opposite way right now. He was getting away from the town, getting away from the crowds. So see, the direct route is through Samaria. Three hours, journey, three days journey, perhaps, is what they estimate. But if you see the little line, the most devout Jews... They disliked Samaria so much and the people who lived there that they would go way out of their way across the Jordan River twice to come around to Jerusalem when they would go to worship the Lord. And so why is this a big deal? Well, so Samaritans have a history. Their lineage is from an intermingling of people. You see, there was... The enemy of Israel, if you'd see in the Old Testament, one of the enemies, was the Assyrians. In fact, the Assyrians were so bloodthirsty and they were just horrible people in battle. And they, they were the people that Jonah did not want to go prophesy to. Well, they had taken Israel captive. And they had eventually, you know, there were some children born out of this intermingling of people. And that were the Samaritans. So the Jews consider themselves were the pure ones, and they are people we don't associate with. They have been come from the enemy, and so therefore they consider them unclean and did not want to associate with them. So that's why they would go way out of their way. And that's why the woman 
was very surprised when Jesus asked for some water. So I find that the verse 9 where it says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That was an understatement. Basically, an insult of the day is if a Jewish person didn't like you, they would call you a Samaritan. It was just the lowest of insults. So when Jesus asks for water, and he's a rabbi too, right? So the rabbis of the day, they didn't even want to eat or drink anything that a Samaritan had fixed or even touched. He that eats the bread of the Samaritans is like to one that eats the flesh of swine. That's what one rabbi taught people. We know how the Jewish people avoided pork. And they're saying here on this level of uncleanliness, don't touch, don't eat, barely look at. That's how they felt when the Samaritans were involved. It was just a horrible form of prejudice in that day. And so here, it was a huge deal. First of all, when Jesus was sitting by the well, his disciples were off buying food in a town in Samaria. So they were, they were getting ready to eat food fixed by Samaritans. And Jesus was asking for water. He was overcoming a prejudice in this one small act. Now, the other interesting thing is, the other faux pas of Jesus is that he is a single man talking to a woman by herself. That wouldn't have been done in the day. In fact, there was something culturally to Israel about a well. Because Isaac and Jacob both met their wives at wells. Apparently, wells had this like romantic connotation. I don't know if it was like the match.com of the day, but I guess, you know, you're hanging out by a well, you meet a nice lady. So if he's talking to this woman, people could kind of say, oh, is he flirting with her? I mean, there was this kind of a weird undertone there that I was really surprised to learn in the past. I've heard a number of people talk about that in the past when I was studying the scripture. But you know, a side note that I like to look at here is that it says Jesus was tired and he was thirsty. No big deal, right? Small details we might overlook. But it fascinates me because it reminds us of his humanity. He's getting ready to talk about his divinity, but at the same time, it's juxtaposed with his humanity. He got tired. He was God, but he embraced being fully human. He was put himself in our shoes. And he was thirsty and tired. Now, maybe the biggest thing you learned about H2O was when TLC told you don't go chasing waterfalls. But I've got a bigger lesson for you here. Water draws people together. In fact, communities came together because they were looking for water as a life source. If you look at Cincinnati, where are we located? On a river. Think about other major cities located by oceans and lakes and rivers. A water source would bring people because you needed it for survival. But you brought different people together. They all needed water. They all needed life. And so water is this connecting place. And in fact, the well was supposed to be a social connecting place. In fact, they said the tradition of the time would be for women to go together to get water. It's a time to be social. It might be a time for safety too. So it is quite unusual for this woman to be alone. It says something about her. She's an outsider. She also came at noon, which was not the typical daily water gathering time. You would go in the morning or evening where it was cooler, wasn't as big of a burden. 
So there's something here where we see she is alone and she's either choosing that or it's been chosen for her. But when she comes to this well today, she does connect with someone, the most important person of all. Let's read on. Verses 10 through 14. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that, ta- that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and, and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So this living water. It's funny because I've heard this story since I was a kid, and I was just like, oh, living water, I get it. I get the metaphor. But actually, the phrase living water also referred to a fresh spring of the day. So that's why when he brought it up, the well would have been situated over this moving water. You don't want stagnant water to drink. Living fresh water is what people would seek out. So he referred to where they were at the time and also a deeper meaning. But what fascinated me to learn this week was that water was associated with the Messiah. The rabbis taught that when you had a provision of water, that is when the Messiah would come. And in fact, God referred to himself also as living water. In Jeremiah 2, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It was a sad description of the people of the time. But look, God himself said he was the spring of living water. So Jesus' words are very specific here. Salvation is referred to in water terms. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And finally, the Samaritans and the Jewish people had different worship practices. And they had different liturgies that they would use for their worship. The Samaritans referred to the Messiah as the restorer. And they said that when he came on the Day of Atonement, water will flow from his buckets. So again, you think it's just happenstance. Jesus is by a well. He's talking about water because there's water there, right? But he is showing, he's fulfilling prophecy. He's declaring himself as God through his words. And I love the fact that he's even trying to relate to her form of worship with his metaphor. Now, I like water to drink. And when we were in Switzerland, back in the spring, we were visiting some friends over there in Geneva. And... This is what you would see around the town. These heads of creatures with water pouring out their mouths. Um, 
I just thought they were kind of a little cute water feature. And my friend was like, no, you can actually drink out of those. That's, that's good water. So me, I always have need water around. I feel a little panicky if I don't have my water. So I had my water bottle and I would be fascinated with everyone I'd see. I'm like, I'm going to go fill my bottle. And Steve and Kaylin are like, you're a little crazy. I'm like, there's water pouring from the mouth of a lion. I'm, I'm going to go use it. It was like fresh from the Alps, right? So it was amazing. And, and Steve's like, does this water taste better? Or is it just our imagination? I'm like maybe in this exotic place, it just tastes better. But you know, every time I drink cold, fresh water, I still got thirsty again. And you know, it just, it's that way in life, isn't it? We thirst for more. You have a goal, you meet the goal. You need another goal. You have something you really work for and you've saved up and you buy it. And eventually it wears out and you need something else. You really desire that, that friendship that you can count on, that relationship. Maybe you want marriage or kids, and then when it happens, it's good, but it doesn't truly fill every need. Maybe there's a thirst in us that's put there just so we could seek God and know that he is the one to fill it. Let's change the subject. Can you read verses 15 through 19. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to, come, have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. When you, what, you are, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Okay. So, Jesus is talking about living water, and that sounds good to this woman. She's thinking, hey, I don't have to come here to the well every day. I'm with it. So why did Jesus bring up her relationship status? Kind of seems out of the blue, change the subject there. Maybe he was trying to get her to reveal something deeper. Why does she not want to come to this well? Is it because it's this connecting place that we talked about? And she feels like an outsider? You know, growing up and hearing about her situation, there was always kind of an implication I've gotten and I've heard preached before. We don't know why she had several husbands in her past. Was it a widow situation? Divorce? Was it her choosing? Or was she a victim? I heard a minister mention last week that men could divorce for such small reasons back then. And they had the power to do so. So what if she couldn't have kids? What if she had a physical feature that wasn't very attractive and they just decided to divorce her? Well, then her options are less. And then she has this next person. And if he chooses the same, her options are less. So was she stuck in a cycle 
where she was trying to cling to security and it just didn't happen? Or was it her sinful choice as well? I think about the woman caught in adultery later in John 8, where it says, a woman was caught in adultery and she was brought for justice. (laughs) But if she was caught, someone else was there with her and that person wasn't out there. So even if this woman is making a sinful choice currently, there's another party involved. But she's the one feeling the shame at the well every day. So in either situation, whether it's been done to her or it's by her choosing, she's in a situation where people are looking at her and they're not befriending her. And perhaps Jesus wants her to share this with him so he can offer her someone who is trustworthy himself. Because if you think in that time, it's hard enough to be a woman on her own. But I can't imagine the trust it would take to think that God would provide. Because in that time, it's a lot easier to cling to a person to provide. So then he brings up her personal life. Yes, it's true. And the woman changed the subject. Well, I get that. It's a little uncomfortable. But let's look at what she changed the subject to because it shows a deeper thirst. Let's read verses 20 through 26. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For the salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So when she changed the subject, she brought up church matters, religion, theology, spiritual issues, worship wars. But it wasn't just spiritual, it was political of the day. There was a clear divide between... There was a a clear divide between culture and religion. But it was also who had the power, the Jews and the Samaritans. There was quite the divide in the day. So did she bring it up to show how knowledgeable she was? Apparently she was. Or was she bringing it up because she was heartbroken? Because someone was telling her that her worship didn't count. That you had to go worship in Jerusalem, on, in this city, far away, rather than on this mountain that's close to you. Telling you where you need to go to worship the Lord. And when she brings up the Messiah, her faith is showing. Now the rabbis of the day, and Jesus was a rabbi, they likely wouldn't have wanted to talk long to women about theology. But Jesus did not interrupt her, and he didn't try to mansplain it away. 
The words he used were the same depth of the same content of religion that he spoke to men. If you look in other parts of the gospels, he spoke at her level, did not treat her as lower than, less than. He spoke the truth plainly. And you know what? Jesus opened the door. This was his step to show that his mission was for all people. His grace was for everyone. And if you look there, he did state that yes, God was bringing salvation into the world through the Jewish people, but he didn't want to leave it there. It says, yet, yet the time is now come. What a powerful statement. Yet the father wants worship in spirit and in truth. It wasn't about location. And the location wasn't just about where you worshiped. That location was designating who. If you could only go to Jerusalem, that only certain people could get there to worship God. There was a certain group who were the privileged, who got to connect to God. Think of how isolating that would feel. Yet the time has now come when you can worship God anywhere. And the Father wants that. What a glorious message he gave right there. Now you know... It's interesting that at the end there, he says, he admits that he was the Messiah. He had been leading up to it, but he stated it outright. Now that's significant because it didn't always happen. In fact, in Mark 1, we see a couple of examples where Jesus didn't want his identity known yet. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. When he was healing some people... Even the demons recognized who he was, and he didn't want them to say so. It might be mysterious. Like, why would you not want to share that you're the Messiah? But he had a certain timing for his ministry. Because he knew that sometimes revealing who he was, people might not have been ready for it. In fact, in Mark 1, he healed a man with leprosy, and he said, don't tell anyone. Instead, the man went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result... Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but had stayed outside in lonely places. So here, he realizes that at some times, he needed to wait to reveal that he was God in the flesh. But to this woman, on this day, for some reason, he chose to tell her he was the Messiah. Because he knew what was going to happen. So let's see where the conversation led. Please read verses 28 through 30. And then skip down to 39 through 42. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. 
so Jesus came with a purpose. And he spoke to a person for a purpose. He wanted to open up the family of grace beyond the Jews. His conversation was a spark. And the flames spread throughout the region. He chose this woman this woman with a reputation, an outsider, to be his evangelist in the region of Samaria. And it worked. Verse 30, they came to town to see him. Verse 39, many believed. Verse 42, we know he really is the savior of the world. Such hope that they didn't have before. They had been pressed down by another culture. They had been told that they were the outsiders and not within God's chosen family. And here, the Messiah is right in front of them saying, I am for you too. You know, the woman went to the well that day to be by herself, to get her water and go home. Yet she left her jar there. She had a new purpose, a new identity. She went out and sought people out. That's how Jesus had changed her. She was no longer an isolated individual. She was a missionary. And I just think of that water and how beautiful it is when Jesus demonstrated baptism. Because if you've experienced that, then you come to that water with your sin and your rejection and your isolation. And he asks you to commit to him. And when you come up out of that water, you're saying, I'm connected to Christ. I am clothed in him. Our identity changes. And he does so through this mysterious metaphor of water. Now, after dwelling upon this story, I've just, I've seen these new aspects of water. How it connects us. How it's connected to each other. And if Jesus is that living water, he brings people together. And I feel like sometimes we're, we're just as divided now as we are back in Jesus' time. If we look and deal with the culture of our day, there's division, isn't there? And sometimes, even on Sunday mornings, we can still feel like there's some separation in our hearts or in our pews. But God's church is meant to be for everyone. Sometimes the church has sinned by creating Jesus in our own image. In this homogeneous, everybody looks this way on Sunday morning in our building. But God is calling every tribe and every nation is going to be in heaven. So we need to look like that here on earth. I heard a minister last week say our discipleship is developed around the different. And it starts by becoming friends with people who are different than us. I'm really glad we're working with these other churches here. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a, a family festival that Kendra has been heading up. And there's other churches in our neighborhood who look different than us and think different than us. And we're going to join with them because they care about the community too. And we're going to come together. But even more than that, let's get to know them. It's not comfortable. It's easy to sit and talk and connect with people who are similar than us. Because that's easy conversation starters, right? But do we want Echo Church to look like 
God's kingdom, then I just challenge us and pray, what can we do? How can we have intentional conversations with people who might be outsiders, who might be different from us in the way they look, act, their past, their economic status, their age? There's so many ways to divide us, but that's not what we're called to be. We're called to bring people together to the living water and into this specific church family. I felt convicted about this. I keep hearing messages of multi-ethnic church and, and a variety of ages, multi-generational churches. And I keep hearing this message and praying, is that what Echo Church can look like? And I just ask that you all would pray that too, that we would look like the kingdom of God here on earth. Let's be like Jesus and reach out. Let's cross cultural boundaries. Let's pray. God, we thank you that something as simple as water can have a deeper meaning. We thank you that you take small moments. You took small moments in your life and you want us to do the same. To look around. To go beyond what is culturally accepted and reach out to people who need your living water. We thank you for caring about every tongue and tribe and nation. That you want us all to have your grace. Help us to live that out in our daily lives. Help us be the church that you need us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.